Hello and welcome to the PD Performance Podcast. Today's episode of the podcast is a conversation with former Leinster player Connor O'Brien. Connor was forced to retire at the end of last season due to persistent hamstring and lower limb injuries. He was recently a guest on Off the Ball and he gave some great insight into the life of a Leinster player on the periphery of the squad there. So we thought it would be a great opportunity to go into a little bit more depth about what that is actually like, the mental trials and tribulations that come with injury, his growth from the injuries that he's had sustained to his body over the years. As well as that, we talked about his foray into the business industry and how he has many transferable skills that have transferred over to business from professional sport. We talked a bit about freedom within sport and freedom outside of sport. We talked about the highs and the lows of professional sport, making decisions around amateur sport and playing GAA as he was a dual star in his underage with Westmead in both hurling and football. We also talked about the relationships that he developed during his time at Leinster with the performance staff, as well as his teammates within Leinster. We talked about his personal identity as an athlete, and we talked a lot about self-awareness and acceptance. So, really valuable insights in this one, guys, for anybody that's injured or anybody that has aspirations of becoming a professional athlete or any performance staff that are working with athletes that value their athletic identity to a high degree so as always i hope you enjoy it and if you do enjoy it please remember to like it share it and send it what is up guys this podcast is kindly sponsored by sam portland's sports speed certification now that is a tongue twister sam is rolling out the certification with the goal to help athletes to find the information around speed coaching and how to implement the practices to improve your athlete speed over time. Sam is also offering all PD Performance listeners a 15% discount on the certification. Just use the code PDPSPEED and message Sam over at sam at coachsportland.co.uk or message him on his social media channels which are at coachsportland. What you will get access to is all of the materials, videos and guides and tools of how to make your athletes faster. Those are all available online. You will also get access to a free live event. Sam is going all over the world, putting in live events and delivering presentations to a number of coaches that is included and you'll get 15% off the whole lot as well as that you'll get a one hour long coaching call with Sam four weeks after the event to follow up so that he can help you to implement the strategies with your athletes and perfect your speed coaching process so once more that is PDP speed is your code message Sam get on board and I hope to see you all at an event Season two of the PD Performance Podcast is kindly sponsored by Output Sports. Output Sports make athlete testing and monitoring simple, portable, and efficient. Their single sensor tool enables the measurement of over 160 exercises spanning agility, speed, power, mobility, reactive strength, and much more. The tech is utilized by the FA Leinster Rugby Limerick Hurling and your very own PD Performance, to name but a few, but also gyms, clinics and schools around the UK and Ireland, and they're now branching out into the States as well. 
As a listener of this podcast, you can get 5% off with the code PT5, P-E-T-E-Y 5. So get onto Output Sports as soon as you possibly can, because I am achieving great things with my sensor that I've been using so far this season. I've had great buy-in with my athletes and I've been using it myself too. And I gotta say, it's a lot of fun. So contact Output Sports with code PT5 to avail of your discount. Connor O'Brien, welcome to the PD Performance Podcast. It's a pity we couldn't make it happen in person, but no we are here now, we're on Zoom, as we're well used to since obviously the last couple of years have happened with COVID, etc. But welcome, and it's a bit of a blast from the past for me because I don't know if you're aware, but... <laughs> You used to absolutely terrorise me um, opposite me at 10 when you were playing for Mullingar and I was playing for Ross Gray. <laughs> Thanks for having me on, first of all. Apologies about terrorising you back in the day, but uh, no, it was good times. Um, yeah, I think I remember playing against you down in, in Ross Gray. Um, I was playing, I think it would have been, well, probably would have been under 18s or something. What would have been? I'm not really I think it was 19s. You were 19s, probably, yeah. You were playing yeah. a year up. And I think I know what game you're reflected on because you had a particularly good game that day. You scored a hat-trick of tries. It was against Ross Graham Burr, the Rebels. In a, yeah, yeah. It was yeah, a semi-final, yeah. I think, actually. I think, yeah, I think it was. And I, that was actually the first and only game I think I played for the 19s because I was playing a couple of years underage, I think. And it was sort of when our season was over, but... Good memories, I'll say. <laughs> yeah, memories good, memories, good memories for you, not for me. Yeah. But look, we'll put it behind us now. We're here for a conversation anyway. So yeah. how's life treating you now? You're in the business world. So how's in the, the hectic yeah. week looking for you at the moment? Uh, yeah, it's it's a lot different. Um, having the weekends to do whatever I want is very nice. Uh, having, I suppose, a normal nine to five as well so you can plan things before and after work and, ju- and during work the the hours are very flexible I, i'm working from home with a software company called tech enable based out of dublin um but yeah look i'm able to just do they're, they're very flexible with the hours and um once the work is getting done they don't mind when you do it so i mean it's uh i suppose when you think sometimes it's like um it's tough because you don't really reach the same highs i suppose as when you were playing rugby in terms of like going to work you're never going to get the same adrenaline as the work you do uh, on a Saturday in the RDS but at the same time there is like I mean there's pros and cons to both of it I mean you can excel uh, from an office and you can excel from a pitch it's just people enjoy watching other people run around a pitch and not work from an office so that's why it's um, much more um enticing and appealing I suppose to people but look all in all I think it's uh, I only have positive memories from my time playing and um yeah it's it's just it's such a different world it's it's crazy that like I'm 26 now and like I, I hadn't worked a day in my life up until a couple of months ago so um when in terms of like obviously I was working but it wasn't I didn't see it as work it was it was so enjoyable most of the time um so it's different but yeah look it's I'm, I'm embracing it I'm embracing it as I said having the weekends free is bliss and Look, I'll get back um, having some sort of routine in terms of uh, doing training and and bits of running myself, whatever my hamstring allows me. But um, until until that time comes around, I'm I'm quite I'm quite content. So that is something that people would miss from an aspect of professional sport because you've spoken there a little bit about freedom. 
Mm. And you've spoken about experiencing freedom on the pitch. And that was probably joyous for you. But at the same time, because of how diligent and dedicated you have to be to your craft, you don't experience the same freedoms that the general population would experience in their nine to five is what you're touching on there. So you're actually enjoying the freedom outside of your nine to five now, but Mm. you're probably missing the element of freedom or play that you were getting from Mm. uh, sporting endeavors. So that's an interesting one. Is that probably the major difference that you see so far and probably the major benefit so far that you've seen in that now you have more time to spend time with your loved ones and spend time with your friends well maybe not your your rugby playing friends but your other friends that are doing nine to five as well yeah no I mean I, I still like see the rugby lads uh, all the time as well so to like as, as I uh, said in a previous interview I, I moved out of a house I was in with Will Connors and Jimmy O'Brien and moved back to Mullingar but it was more so of a logistics thing that I was renting in Dublin and I was able to work from home so it made sense to go home and um, I suppose step out of the bubble, but they're still my best mates. But yeah, no, the the I get what you're saying. Yeah, the freedom of having a nine to five, but then the you don't actually have any uh, ways to express yourself the way you would on a rugby pitch. Because I mean, that's you're putting your own stamp on your the way you play and what you do. So yeah, I get that. Um, it's, I haven't really thought about it like that. I suppose it's a, it's a, it made me it made me think now. Um, yeah, it's a uh, the, the it's a cruel mistress sport because uh, your people see it as uh, like these lads don't work and they don't like uh, they don't have the same pain points that I have because I'm providing for my family or working nine to five breaking my back doing that and it's fair enough because that is true in a sense but also the mental and physical. Uh, I won't say torture, but the the mental and physical sort of demand from professional athletes and, and especially the athletes who aren't at, say, the top 5% of their craft, which would be the majority. Um, but they've obviously worked hard to get there. So I'm mm. not saying that, but sometimes it just comes down to ability. But those like that's extremely hard because you're moving around clubs. I know it's professional soccer and professional American football any sport really that if you're not in that say elite category of the elite category because professional sports people are like the top one percent of anyone that plays the sport but um within that then there is it's broken down into even more categories of in terms of ability and how valuable they are to an organization so I think when you're looking in on those sort of people who are they're going to be in the starting 15 or the starting 11 with soccer or they're in the starting lineup in American football I'm just using that as an example for the American sports but it's very hard because you know the uncertainty of having a contract the uncertainty of training being able to play at the weekends um selection and and of course everyone has those issues but I think it's just when it's that's a constant conscious when it's consciously in your mind constantly it's very very difficult to express yourself and have that freedom you're talking about so I think being able to um, compartmentalize that uh, as best you can and I suppose um, pr- like find a way to not have that being on your mind when you do cross the white line that you get your opportunity that it's not like you're not this bundle of 
anxiety and fear and you're worrying about the wrong things you need to be in a good mindset that you're going to express yourself and play the best you can but it's not always the case and I know from my own personal um, experiences like you're putting your heart and soul and 110% and you're saying work in extra hours and and you know extra gym sessions extra ones and then it, the fruit at the end is not what you thought it would be so um like it's hard to keep going I suppose but yeah like as I said the, the freedom to express yourself I don't think um if you can master being able to go in and being completely comfortable in what you do but playing at such a high standard then you've hit the nail on the head and that's goals for any athlete I think so um I think everyone has their their own battles and it could be something completely arbitrary to one guy versus another so like someone might be getting bogged down on something that I'd be like why would you even like why is that even on your mind but then for another person it could be similar what I'm saying so it's uh, it's weird it's a weird one that was it's human nature I suppose so that's an interesting insight because obviously it is all relative and everybody has their issues that they work through and their challenges mm. but that is probably not thought about talked about very often in that you did actually mention on off the ball on your interview as well that when you're not in that 25 that are playing week in week out it's an incredibly hard mental battle to fight to get in there and then you're fighting and fighting and trying so hard to get in there once you're in there then you have to forget about all that and (laughs) and and try and just play your game yourself but in in a way it's probably very very difficult to switch off like i'm just reflecting on i know you said 25 but the 23 like if you're in that 25 or the 26 sometimes it's even more difficult because we've had uh peter dooley on the podcast and just from conversations with with peter and jerry over the years like peter was traveling for many many years as a traveling reserve and you mentioned uncertainty there there's so much uncertainty if you're a traveling mm. reserve and i'm sure it's a position you found yourself in as well because sense, you're, yeah. you're you're covering a number of different positions mm. and you have to be ready to go down to the field for the warm-up or swap your bib over at mm. a moment's notice because somebody's become injured how yeah. difficult is that when you're outside of that inner group or the, the tried and tested guys that are playing week in week out and you're trying to break into it because mentally it just seems like it's an absolute slog it is yeah it is I mean the first couple of times there's a bit of novelty to it because you get to go travel away and you know see what it's about and what the lads are doing and stuff so when I was like 20 you know 22 kind of thing in the academy and then after like the third or fourth time you're like oh my god how am I like this is not enjoyable because as you were saying you have to you have to prepare like you're playing so you do about 80 percent of the preparation in terms of your fuel so like you're not carb loading because <laughs> you're not yeah. carb loading fully because you're probably not going to play but you need to be carb loaded to a certain amount that you're might play and then you need to know the moves inside out which uh, can at times be tricky when you're in the academy and you're not fully i suppose comfortable with some of the plays and you don't get any reps so yeah. if you do get if you do get called in uh you're you you're innately going to be more underprepared than someone who's been running reps and and training uh with the starting team but um i think especially for some of the specialist positions so like uh, scrum halves hookers uh props 
they get stuck with being the extra man a good bit because if one of them go down, they have to like they can't you can't throw someone in that's not a specialist position. So you couldn't bring like one second row to cover all the forwards because if a hooker goes down, like you're not going to put him into the front row. So um, with me, it was I was a little bit less than some guys. Um, because obviously an outside back, they they're, they can usually bring a 24th man is what you call it. The, the mm-hmm. match day 23 and then the 24th man could be, there could be five lads as 24th man, which is sort of the phrase, but um, they'd usually just bring a, a gadget sort of player that could play uh, numerous positions in the back line. Maybe I think the scrum half, usually they bring a spare scrum half. So if you're third choice hooker or third choice scrum half, Generally speaking, you know you have a lot of pain being 24th man because you've been it tens of times sometimes. In some cases, I've heard lads, you know, they could have been 24th man like 30 times before they played and stuff like crazy stuff. But um, yeah, it's that I was 24th man down in Munster in my first year playing and uh, Dave Kearney injured himself in the warm up. So I got called in and I wasn't down, I wasn't starting. I was just on, I, I went onto the bench and uh, I I just, for whatever reason, I just got a bit flustered. It was a packed Thoman Park and um, like I was grand. I played okay when I come on, but like, Jesus, I was, I was breaking it to say the least. It was like, I just felt like I was underprepared and thrown in off the street nearly, you know? So that Did was you going in the center. I went in, yeah, I came on for, I think it was Noel Reed. Noel Reed started and I went onto the bench and uh, I just wasn't expecting it because it was literally when the warm-up was over, one minute, we were going into the dressing room. I was jogging in and Leo was like, you're in. And I was like, what? So I just started to a little play sheet and I was carrying that around me then on the bench and I wasn't thinking about my own performance. It was like just nailing um, the detail, I suppose, because they're pretty big on getting everyone knowing their detail inside out, which is completely understandable. So um, I was probably focusing on the wrong things, but um, no, it was, it was just when, when you say it, like someone could be 24 man uh, 20 times in their career and never play from being 24 man. And then other guys could get like, like me uh, thrown in and, and play. I, I know Jimmy was 24 man going to Galway one time when we were playing Connacht and he came off, uh, someone got injured in the warm up again, and he came on. I think he got man of the match that day. It was uh, he played really well. So like it's it, sometimes again, it's how you handle it and uh, where your mind's at and how prepared you are and stuff like that. But it is that's just one of the aspects, I suppose, of uh, professional sports. If you're a traveling reserve, it's uh, quite tricky. I think when you're looking at the play sheet, then are you? It sounds like that's a bit of a struggle for you in that you might be, like a lot of people, one of those players that needs to do it in order Mm. to be able to know where you need to be at the right time and in order to be able to remember the play. Whereas we both know there are other players that can react a little bit better with visual or verbal cueing. So maybe the play sheet is perfect for them Mm. and they can look at it and it's like, yeah, look, I can do that. 100% Mm. I know where I need to be. But if you're not getting the reps, it can be very, very hard to uh, execute and be in the right place and the right position at the right time for a set play for maybe not an open play because open play you're playing a little bit more off the cuff and it's a little bit more playing um, how you would usually play and just playing off of your reaction or play what's in front of you, as they say. Um, 
Would you be someone that would struggle with that learn by visual? And then when you're looking at the play, are you then thinking about and visualizing how you would run it so that you're trying to put yourself into that learn by doing mindset or that yeah. learn by doing kind of scenario? Yeah, well, I think uh, it'd probably be, I, I get what you mean, do it or learn. It's the same with anything, really. Like some people learn by you know, verbal cues. Some people learn by reading. Some people learn by doing. But um, I think it's a combination, really, for me. I, I, I think if I was just to do one, I'd probably, I might struggle. But if you explained the concept of the play, and once that's understood, I think that goes a very, very long way. It's the same with Anton. If you understand something, it's very it's much easier to learn it so if i'm looking at a play on the page and i'm not fully briefed on what the aim of it is like obviously the aim of most plays is to score but sometimes it's to set up field position or it's to because a lot of those moves are very very intricate and felipe contrapomi was very good at explaining the exact detail in the exact detail what the the purpose of a move was so like He'd, he'd like go down to the such detail that like say a first phase line out hit up in the center and it's exactly who he wants to target from them to tackle so that they can't fold around the corner with that player so like sometimes you're running into the flanker so he can't get around and getting the 10 to fold around whereas uh and, and then exactly who's cleaning him and how deep it is so you're like clean deep on the rook uh force them to run further around the rook rather than having a straight line to get out and fan out and um and then the second phase is exactly what we predict they will do or who they'll have defending and how you know will they have someone slightly sitting off if so you know you're playing if he if the winger comes up you can just stab it in behind and our winger is ready for it or if they play um with uh, with the man in behind we can play play to the width and things like that so i think having that he he's very good at I suppose explaining what what the the purpose of every move is and that is very helpful for me because once I understand it I think it's much easier to learn and run the reps now of course being able to run the reps in real time is also very important because getting the timings right and and cues so I was quite bad at that um I'd always run too early for my moves and Felipe used to hate it because it'd mess up the whole uh, flow, I suppose, of the set piece. And I'd always be very eager to go and run. And uh, so I was always too early. So he was like, for most moves, you're kind of going off the scrum half. He, so once he moves, then that's your cue to run. And I think being able to do that in real time was probably the most important thing for me because, yeah, I'd overrun it. I just feel like I'd nearly be in the defensive line before I, <laughs> before the ball is even off the line out. Um, if I could, so uh, I know there's a funny clip of uh, our inter interpro year uh, under twenties, and uh, for some reason we had the video footage up of um, our game down in Munster. We played down in um, UCC's ground, and there's a clip of me standing about forty yards back from a scrum and just started running when the ball hadn't even left the scrum half to, for him to feed it into the scrum and like all the lads found this absolutely hilarious when they were watching it back because obviously Felipe had been giving out to me so much uh, about like not timing my runs properly and then it goes back to under 20s and I'm there like a train coming and running and the, like the, the scrum half hadn't even fed it into the scrum yet so um, yeah that's probably the most important thing for me would be being able to run and understand and run in real time because 
otherwise, if I just look at it, I'd be like, okay, yeah, Grant, I know what I'm doing here, but my timing could be completely off. So timing is everything, really. Timing is everything, yeah, because you're not an option if you overrun it. And then no. The defence yeah. will just ignore you, um, yeah. which you don't want to happen, obviously. But no. it sounds like there that Felipe is very direct in his communication. And he, he's quite good at that. And when people hear you talking about the intricacies of the moves and whatnot, they're probably thinking like, oh, my God, how the hell are you supposed to remember all of that? So my question would be in relation to the coaching and specifically maybe Felipe's style of coaching with those backs moves or those set piece moves, actually, where the forwards are um, integrated into it. Is it a case that it's a combination of all of the above as what you said earlier, like he is explaining it in great detail um, and then you're doing it in team meetings as well and going through it in great detail, but maybe then you're handed out um, information or a sheet in regards to where each player is meant to be at each different position or each different time in the move because people are probably thinking like, how could I remember all of that information about everybody's position? Um, mm. But unfortunately, you have to know that if the move is going to move co- cohesively. like, And that is yeah. the issue that you run into, probably not in Leinster, but especially when you're playing underage, as you say, mm. as, as we were talking about there, because like some players will be like, they'll just want to know what they're doing. And then you're trying to explain to them, it doesn't matter what you're doing if you don't understand what the guy beside you is trying to do or doing because you won't be effective. Yeah, well, I think, as you were saying, Felipe was very direct. Um, I think possibly because of the the language, I won't say barrier because he was fluent in English, mm. but um, it was always very black and white. So there was no, if you did something wrong, it was, you did this wrong. There was no like, okay, I could, thought you could have done this a bit better. It was just like right or wrong, which is good. And sometimes bad, but it was it was good. So he, he was very big on explaining everything inside out. So you could be an hour in a meeting listening to him explaining the meet, the, the moves. And like most people already know them, but they were still very, very important because once everyone's singing off the same hymn sheet, uh, you just get like, because you have so many different moving parts, you need the whole over riding engine to work mm-hmm. so he was very big on like setups and um f- like where you were on the field and what was the purpose of what you were doing on the field at all times so it was a constant I, it didn't it wasn't naturally ingrained in me from a young age he was very uh it, it was sort of a concept he brought in more was like where are we on the pitch and what am i doing and what do we want to accomplish on the pitch so it was mostly you know we'd get the seven backs on the pitch you try and be getting a five-two split, so there'd be five backs on one side, two on the other, and you know you're constantly scanning where the space is and all these moving parts that everyone knows what the overarching um, purpose of what they're doing is, yeah. and then they also know what they're doing to work. So we're like little bees in a beehive trying to run around the place and and do what uh, we were told to do, really. But um, yeah, that was the most important thing that you didn't have these individuals going off on their own and doing some crazy stuff that mm-hmm. was never going to work or that was a bit speculative that it was reasonably robotic in that sense. Um, in terms of we were conditioned to maybe maybe over-conditioned to uh, play within the system and not be able to express ourselves the way we probably could have. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would probably be my one smaller criticism. But then again, you can't have 15 guys going off doing their own thing because it just be chaos. And we we like organized chaos, not mm-hmm. complete chaos. So um, 
it's uh it's a fine line because you want people to be able to do what they do best but also they need to have some sort of a limitation as to how much they express themselves because we kind of chip shots on our own trial and stuff you know chip uh chips chip, over the top chip. well it's been seen before let's it's been seen soda. before yeah it's yeah but seen before, yeah. it's uh yeah, but you know what I mean. Like, it's just, trying, I know exactly yeah. what you mean. Mm, yeah, yeah. yeah you, so. you can't have people just going off and doing their own thing because mm. it's a team game. It's not an individual game. Yeah, exactly. You're still so like, leaving room to play off instinct in certain within scenarios in a split yeah. second, but mm, mm. it's given people the guide lines to go by almost for the whole time. But you still yeah. have to leave leave room for them to react to what's happening on the field as well. Exactly. It's just express yourself within the system kind of thing so there is a cap on how much you can do but um i know some teams are obviously you can tell they're very loose with their play and it's sort of like go out and express yourself and that's it like but yeah i'd question some of it to an extent and how successful it is um but it's the same as business in a way isn't it you need a direction that you're going in and how we're going to get there you have to talk about how you're going to get there but you still need to allow a little bit of freedom for creativity within that system so like what what, has transferred over to the business world from being in that professional environment in in your career um it's mostly like the uh attitude and you know hard work um resilience and things like that like stuff that it isn't necessarily a necessary skill for a job in terms of I wouldn't be able to you know tell you how to reassemble a computer but I could you know have the work ethic to go and learn how to do it Mm -hmm. and if I'm having issues doing it then I have the resilience to keep going at it and so I, I think things like that would be definitely transferred across very uh, kindly for me um so it's mostly sort of attitude things and then um i also did my degree while i was playing which also helped with i suppose some of the the learned abilities but um no like there's like i think once i think the attitude of the individual is probably the main thing for most employers because if you bring a good attitude and do the right things and say the right things I think that's probably 90% of it because the other stuff can be learned. And I think attitude is the key to how quickly it's learned and the way in which it's learned. But you touched on there saying the right things as well. And I'm interested to ask you, has your communication and your ability to work within a team transferred at all? Because that's what you've been doing for the last Yeah, I suppose, yeah. I suppose, yeah, but like, I mean, it never was something I learned too. Like, I'm not going to have to start shouting at people. No, but it's not conscious either. It's it's your ability to get across a message or Mm. to work within a meeting. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. I think, um, again, there's people within the rugby circle that wouldn't be good at that. And they wouldn't be like, they might be very good at demanding and bossing things, people in games or in training. But then like you sit them down after training and get them to speak in the meeting or whatever and it's you know they're getting their point across but it's not like uh making the, making the hair stand on the back of your neck or anything. <laughs> it's sort of like uh i think that again that comes down to the individual really like how uh sociable you are and how you can communicate with other people because uh, obviously people are uh, learning and and 
teaching themselves and self-help on how to do that better because it's very important communication is like ultra important in anything but I think again it's sometimes down to like how naturally someone is with other people and how they can get their point across and communicate and obviously you can learn it as well but I probably would have been better at being able to just be real with people and, and talk to them and be, be be a sound person. I was a big advocate on being sound because I think that goes a long way in business and in every walk of life as well. Um, that you just don't take any BS, but you're also quite sound and a good person. Um, so you're not getting walked all over, but people respect you. And um, so like I'd always try and give advice best as I can. I mightn't be able to always do what my advice is, but um, offering counsel to my friends and family and work colleagues now that I'm able to take it on board and also dish out what I've learned in the past I think um I enjoy doing that and I think it's something that I'm improving at a good bit so um yeah that's an, another aspect that I haven't really thought of now that you're saying it but like I suppose even just get hopping on a call with a couple of my teammates now um being able to talk to them and get things done I think is very important because if someone doesn't like you within an organization you tend not to get they just don't work for you so I'm not managing people now but just in terms of uh, trying to get a task done or or whatever that might be that I think when you're a nice person and they respect you um it tends to move a lot faster absolutely what people will probably think listening to that monologue there is you're an incredibly self-aware individual do you think that the self-awareness has been helped to develop as a result of your trials and tribulations with the injury history that you've experienced? Uh, probably, yeah. I mean, it's self-awareness, but sometimes it's really negative. It's not really negative self-awareness, but like I, I am a, I'm a thinker, so I, uh, I overthink a good bit. And mm-hmm. um, again, when I give out advice to people about overthinking, it's brilliant advice that I don't follow myself. So it's a uh, it's 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 a tough one and it's something I'm constantly working on because um yeah I think if you're over self-aware I can be overcritical and it's always something I've struggled with is that confidence piece and beating myself up because if I, I see someone doing something I'd be like I should be able to do that and when I'm not able to do it yeah I get a bit frustrated and probably a bit sad in myself so um yeah, that's one thing that I think is probably a, a work on for me. But um, what was the second part of that question? The second part was in relation to your self-awareness. Has it developed through your trials and tribulations with injury? Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, again, it was like when when you get injured once, it's fine. And twice, it's less fine and so on and so forth. So um, that was the ups and downs of it were just probably too much by the end of it because it was so unenjoyable having to like I hated rehab and and the fact that I had to do it for probably a combined two full seasons in total from from maybe even longer but from start to finish in terms of every injury I've had like I think I counted seven or eight surgeries by the end of my career with ankles and knees and hamstrings combined and um like that just like again once a season is maybe fine doing that but like having it two or three times a season it was just crazy and I think that's when that self-awareness thing came in it was like oh I was aware that this wasn't going to work out nearly when my hamstring wasn't getting better the on the last time um so that was tough but I had dealt with all this like uh 
it would have been like probably six months ago or so when I knew my hamstring wasn't getting better. I was coming back to train. And um, yeah, like, I mean, it was, it was obviously a tough, really tough time for me. And it was the uncertainty of what I was going to do next that I suppose was the hardest part. But then by the time I started talking about it with people, like I had already dealt with it. So it was just sort of being able to look at it from another point of view and perspective that I think was why people maybe saw me as being this, you know, brave person that, you know, mm. didn't take it too seriously um, afterwards and, and has a good attitude. But like it wasn't the case at the time because um, it was pretty dark in terms of uh, not knowing what the next step was and if my hamstring would get better, would I play rugby again? What would I do after rugby? Was I enjoying it? Was I ever going to enjoy it again? Like all these things are going through your head. But I think being able to be at peace with the decision that was forced upon me is uh, probably the most important thing for me because, I mean, I could dwell in the past for the rest of my life and that would not get me anywhere because I'd just be living in the past when I think we're all very aware that living in the present is the <laughs> most optimal thing to do. So, um yeah, like by the time I speak about it now and the last couple of months, I mean, I dealt with all the issues that came mm -hmm. with it previously. And I mean, I always talk about my support network around me and it's such a cliche, but I do. Um, a loving family and girlfriend and friends uh, goes a very, very long way. So I'm very blessed in that regard. I sound very uh, hippie-ish or something now. No, talking no, about I'm being blessed, no. But it's true. It's true. It I is can't. true. Yeah. It is true, I think. Uh, when you're not alone doing these things and it comes back to us being social animals that having a good community and and tribe around you is so so important and that's probably one thing i'll miss about rugby as well because like it was a bit of a brotherhood there so this is probably the next question you're going to ask me about the looks of it but no uh... <laughs> well i was just about to say that like it's an interesting one with injury because you do feel quite isolated obviously when mm -hmm. you're going away and dealing with uh, the rehab process and you're experiencing a lot of emotions and what people will probably get from the few times you've spoken now since retiring is that you have a high level of acceptance in that you did your best and what happened happened and now there's no point dwelling on it and let's move forward mm -hmm. but people will think like that acceptance just came overnight was it more of a gradual thing with all of the the injuries that you went through or the, the final one, I suppose, and trying to get through that rehab process. And then the follow on question from that is, was that acceptance helped by the support network and the brotherhood that you had around you? Yeah, like, I mean, like, it's not again, it's not as I suppose it's not as straightforward as did it happen overnight. It definitely didn't happen overnight, but um I suppose when you're getting injured so much, you probably think uh, it's things start creeping into your mind that like, is this for me kind of thing? And then I suppose when the final injury happened and it was the end that I was able to accept in terms of like, it was, there was probably a reason behind all this and the universe told me that. So um, again, that's all very wishy-washy but it probably is some truth in it maybe I know a lot of people believe in that sort of stuff and I believe in some of it to an extent but I was I was pretty chilled about the idea of calling it a day with the fact that my hamstring couldn't take the load of um, playing professional rugby so that made it a hell of a lot easier I suppose because I was sort of forced into it and I think if 
if say that I got an injury that another injury after this injury that was completely separate, like you would have been thinking like, it's definitely not for me, but like, I'm still physically able to do it. So that probably would have been harder. Um, the fact that I, I think I talk about it in that interview that I did previously that I had, <laughs> I've lost my trail of thought now. <laughs> I, I, um, I think uh, I can help you pick it up. I think okay. because it, like you touch on there that you weren't physically able to stick with it and keep going in professional rugby. But that's okay. in stark contrast to what you ex- experienced prior to that when you did the ACL, because you experienced the state of denial with the ACL. Because when yeah. it occurred initially, you were like, oh, it's fine. I'll just go off. I'll strap it up and I'll be fine tomorrow. Yeah. So it's, yeah. you knew that your body could do it. You just didn't have a cruciate ligament, unfortunately. But you were trying to convince yourself that you did have a cruciate ligament, which didn't go too well from mm. what you what you outlined in that interview. Yeah. Like it's it's just, yeah, it's, it's the, it slowly breaks down any bit of hope you have in terms of playing rugby I think every injury chips off a little bit more and it's like scar tissue it's, it grows back stronger and stronger and stronger but eventually there's no scar tissue to, to, to reheal and I think that was sort of it in terms of an, an analogy and also the matter of fact that the hamstring wasn't able to take it so it's probably a good way of looking at it actually but um, yeah like I mean it was just it was the, the right time um, and it, it made sense not to go out and risk like permanently not being able to walk perhaps because, you know, it could be um, that severe if, if I was to go out and take painkillers or whatever to try and get through a training session. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, the fact that I got so many surgeries, this one was done and there was distinct structural damage in the hamstring in on the MRI post-surgery and um, it was obviously touching the wrong nerve and it's the, the pain is still there. Uh, now I'm, I'm able to do some slow jogs and walk and things like that. But all in all, I am lucky that it wasn't a head injury. I, I said it in the previous interview as well, that you, something that would have left you permanently damaged. And I think uh, having something that would affect the mind or the brain, that that's probably the most important thing that I'm able to think clearly and, um physically able to walk and, and jog and things like that. I think I'm completely fine with that in terms of the long-term ramifications of, of rugby. Um so I am one of the lucky ones, I always say. Um, and we are we are all very lucky. So it's um lucky. I mean it's how good is it to sit, sit back and say you played professional rugby. So I mean not many people get to say that and I'm quite content with that. So you're saying you're lucky there and you obviously experience a lot of gratitude for the time that you spent um, mm-hmm. playing professional rugby. But just to touch on the mind there as well, because obviously going through injury after injury is tough. And in that state, initially, it's going to be not the best for your mind. But longer term, are you grateful for going through that in that you touched on earlier that you're quite a resilient in- individual? And you possibly wouldn't be as resilient if you didn't have to go through those experiences. Yeah, I, I think so. I think um, some of the best athletes and people in the, in their fields have gone through some, you know, a lot of the time, have gone through some sort of big adversity previously in their careers. Um, so I think that's why maybe clinging on to the hope that 
these setbacks were worth it was a big thing for me that I do this now, I'll do my time. Uh, I'm injured the whole time and it's a good comeback story and I'll be as hungry as ever. But obviously it didn't materialise that way, but it, that was sort of the what I was feeding myself. Um, but did I, it definitely, like, I mean, that's why no matter what happens now, it's it's like you learn, I've learned so much and so much life experience about that. And I, I said it again, your attitude, but that resilience as well, um, definitely was one thing I picked up because I mean there was a lot of times there you're waking up at eight o'clock in the morning to go train and it was going to rehab a couple of hours and do all the meetings see people happy after the weekend their performances and people playing and being able to train and things and it was just they'd go out and train and I'd be alone in the gym and it was quite sad in that regard so um yeah having the hunger to get back and be where they are I think it's probably one thing I always use as a, as a driver for me. And I said it to my girlfriend um, when I was injured, I was on the couch watching, uh, I think it was Leinster Glasgow potentially on the TV. And I said, remind me about how I feel now looking at how happy everyone is on the TV when I get back playing, because I think that's good fuel for the fire um, within me. And I possibly tried to play too much on the emotion side when I did get back to play, because I was like, so frantic and hectic and I wasn't relaxed in what I was doing like we were talking about earlier and I was probably focusing the wrong things um so yeah I mean these are all things you learn with life and life experience so I think sometimes you don't fully uh, I won't say appreciate I think you you don't fully um understand how important like you, you wouldn't learn gratefulness or resilience and things like this unless something happened in the previous life it's like you tell a kid not to touch something because it's hot and they go and touch it. You sort of have to learn from it, you know what I mean? Rather than just telling someone to do something. I think sometimes uh, life experience is the most important part. But if you were not to tell somebody to do something, but if you were to give a little bit of advice to people that are going through that challenge or that adversity of a longer term injury when they are feeling isolated and they are feeling like there may be no hope how would you advise them into how to develop that hunger and drive to push and to come back as a stronger athlete than you were when you got injured? Um, it's a tough question because I think if you could answer that if it effectively, you'd be in a very high-paying job somewhere. But I think uh, I think definitely with these things, I think not to catastrophize the situation, so not to, this is the end of the world, I think is also not the way to look at it because sometimes that does happen. And then... I know people always say you're not alone, but it's very important to understand that what you're feeling and people, I take great comfort in the fact that like there's, there's definitely someone that's felt a lot worse than you in this situation. And there's definitely people who feel the same as you. So, I mean, there's comfort in the fact that there's other people that have gone through and felt the exact same emotions, emotions and physically what you're feeling now. So like, don't beat yourself up that it's just you because there's definitely other people that have a hundred percent been in your shoes. And I think that does, puts you at a bit of ease because you don't fully you're not fully thinking about in your head thinking about how I feel now it's sort of like well there's other people feeling like this so I can kind of relax a little bit and that sort of breaks the ice um, and then leading from that then it's just sort of like trust the process figure out how long it's going to take and try and knock a couple of weeks off that I, I always think it's a good aim to get a uh, my physio used to add on like a month onto my rehab because I 
you know, automatically take a month off the return to play date. So it was sort of worked out like that. But um, they knew by the end of it to, to add a month on. So I think having distinct markers throughout your rehab and getting a, um, are you kind of talking about like from a rehab standpoint in general advice? Is this sort of, is that sort of the question? I think you're answering it pretty well, to be honest, but it is from an acute injury standpoint and trying to recover and get back to playing or, or performing. Yeah. Once you're aware of, I think the distinct markers that you need to hit throughout your injury. So for me, it would have been, I get a knee injury, uh, first of all you're in a brace so what's the timeline like to get out of the leg brace and then that could be a week uh, for me it was a couple of days because I'd done injuries previously so I was able to sort of like just plow through it without feeling my way around the place I sort of just took my leg out of the brace and then it's sort of like getting movement into it so being able to uh, tense your quad simulate the muscles in your quad and uh, calves and then being able to move it up and down so bridge uh, two leg bridge um being able to weight bear fully these sort of markers you're always like plugging away at them and plugging away at them and once you're hitting them then it's that feeling of you've achieved something and suddenly you're halfway through and it's like Jesus this isn't too bad and you're getting back to run and getting a bit of strength back in your leg that it doesn't look like one straight line there's a bit of definition coming back in your quad and I think once you have good uh, good clarity from your physiotherapist that um what the markers are and when we need to be hitting them and if like give or take a week or two like don't be too hard if you're not exactly hitting them because most of this is done off feel again if you're if it feels really bad on a given day well then communicate it and don't plow through it because it's just it's one step forward three steps back with these sort of things it's it's better to go a lot off how it feels and if it feels really good then maybe you can push it 10 percent more than what you thought you could but and that's how i sort of went through my injury was done off feel so just on that Connor um, make sure as well from my own advice before you go pushing it that extra 10-20% to do what Connor has just touched on he did with his physio and his performance practitioners was consult with them and talk to them about it and it sounds like you developed a very close relationship with those performance staff Mm, and they, they really probably appreciated the small wins as much as you did because it, it sounds like there you use the metrics as a little bit of a win every time you hit one mm. you're like tick that off good yeah. job little dopamine kick and yeah, uh on to the next one yeah i think like i would be very old school in the sense that i would have not cared for metrics at all when it came to rehab so that was sort of ingrained in me by my physio because they're very and it's it's a good way because you need to quantify the progress and I think it is important to put numbers on it but I just hated doing that so but by the end of it I got good at it and I understood where they're coming from but yeah like you develop such a close relationship with these guys like Carl Denver I've talked about him numerous times before how good he's been and he's so emotionally invested in me and my progress that it's kind of a journey together you sit down plan it out but like you're saying there uh, I think it's important I, I had a physio with me looking at everything I was doing and it's important not to go off on a solo run and doing these extra sessions yourself because it might feel like you're doing good work, but at the end of the day, like a lot of the time, I, I, I sort of contradict myself in terms of how it feels, but you just don't want to, like the heart ache and break of having to go back and 
re rehab an injury that you've done because you pushed too hard and came mm-hmm. back too soon or something like that. And of course it's, it's situational. There's times when you need to take the risk of if you're preparing for a county final or an all Ireland final or whatever championship final and you're injured and you need to, you, it's worth the, the risk is better than the reward of coming back for that. But there's times, most of the time it's started the season or whatever you got injured and it's important to go through all the processes properly and get it a hundred percent right before you go back because you'll come back and you might, the injury itself might be fine, but in terms of match fitness, I suppose you're, you're thinking you're going to be in your head for a good bit when you're out training, because you're going to be thinking about the injury and it's not the right thing to be thinking about because it's like, how's my leg holding up? How's my leg holding up? How does that feel when you should be thinking about where's the next ball coming from? How, like, you know, what, what's my position? What's this, that, and the other you're thinking about sort of, it's just adding more, to your brain so I think the longer you give yourself to readapt to the environment is probably better and some people are better at it than others and I think people who have gotten injured previously probably are better at doing it than those who haven't but um, yeah it's it's there's so many different moving parts with an injury because it's not just the actual rehabbing of it it's how how it affects you when you leave the building every day and mm. the, the relationships you have outside of that and how you respond to it and what you're doing in your spare time then is it positive or negative activities are you just sitting up and playing the playstation for the rest of the day are you staying up till four o'clock in the morning watching movies it's just things like that i think you need to look at it from just an overall picture that you've good habits and yeah your attitude sort of reflects that that you're hungry to get back and play but not too soon yeah you don't want to go two steps forward one step back and you, yeah. you'll need a, a high level of patience and you need a lot of diligence to be, to be able to order your life in that you're looking at it holistically and you're getting the most out of yourself in every endeavor, but mm. equally not getting stressed about it. And mm. that's where it's very important to have a physio or a practitioner with you who you have a good connection with and who you've developed a relationship with. And it sounds like yourself and Carol have a a very close relationship. Mm -hmm. So I was interested to ask, because of that emotional investment that he has in you, was that one of the most difficult conversations to have around the retirement? To say to Carol, like, Carol, I think it's time to to knock it on the head. Or did you come to that decision together? Well, yeah, like it was kind of like it, it was easy in that regard because the decision was like forced on me. Like I couldn't mm. keep doing what I was doing. So it just my hamstring wouldn't let me do what I wanted to do. So that was like it was a lot easier than if I had to be like, look, man, I know I'm physically able to do this, but like I just can't do it anymore. So that was easier. But at the same time, it was very hard because like all the work we had done and all the hours and all this, that and the other, um, like calling out to his house to get treatment sometimes and things and and diagnose diagnosis but um it's uh it was hard and thinking back on it like it was hard on him as well I'm sure um because he was so like it's his job and that's his life making people get better and helping people get better um and he's one of the best at doing it so I mean it was hard and it was easier in one sense but it was still very very difficult and like I'm in regular contact with him now. And like, if I wanted to go down and do a four hour session with him tonight, he'd come on over kind of thing. Like, so it's a very good relationship. And he always said, anytime you 
want something done or you know any future endeavors like you let me know and i'll help you out sort of thing so i'm always very appreciative of that and uh, he's a good guy so as i said he cared more about my body than i probably did so <laughs> did that give you a decent insight into what the life of a, a physio or a performance practitioner or a member of the sports medicine team is like yeah being well, injured think, and being there with him day day in day out yeah i think like because it's very they're very like the the physios and the athletic trainers in Leinster are very functional with their approaches in terms mm-hmm. of it's it's black and white in terms of this is where we are and this is where we need to be so we're going to get this done as efficiently as possible there's no I think a lot of the time the the physiotherapy books uh, might be thrown out in terms of what the proper procedure is with a lot of things but they have their system and their ways that work and it's like in terms of the big things that need to be procedural are procedure but like i know a lot of the time the interns come in and this is just for me looking observing so i don't actually know i've, I've never studied physio i've never studied yeah, any yeah. of that sort of stuff but like they'd come in and like you know the proper way to tape an ankle or a shoulder like it's by the book and this is how you do it a very slow process whereas the lads know exactly how what each player needs and it's just like boom 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 doesn't look good but it does its job and they're there you know the intern would cut the tape <laughs> right, put yeah. it on you know it's just like things like that it's just like it's it's so much more um tailored to the demands of the professional yeah. game and and demands of like speeds is it, being able to do things efficiently and quickly because if you have a room of 25 lads which is what it would be before a training session that need tape and need treatment then it needs to be done like you can't do you can't be slow or inefficient what you're doing it needs to be quick and to the point and job done sort of thing so um seeing how that works in terms of the actual the way uh, uh and uh, i suppose what would you say a, a professional sports team physio works is mm. interesting because like you'd see i'd see other guys working doing a GAA job or doing a, a you know club football championship match or whatever and it just it's a stark contrast sort of thing which is completely understandable because of the resources available but um it's a lot different I think to how it normally would be if you go to get a physio session you know you pay your 100 quid or whatever to go get physio it's like you know you get a massage on your leg and a bit of movements and stuff it's not the same thing like and now, of course, there's so much different th- treatment you can get. So that's what I always thought it was because I was I was brought up with a GAA background, and my dad would go, I'd, he'd bring me down to his training, and he'd get a rub before training and stuff. And that's how I saw physio. Yeah. And then yeah. you go in, it's like these guys will not rub anything. They've, there's masseuses for that. These guys are they're physios, so they're it's moving physio. that way though. It is <laughs> moving that way in the private practice as well, which is, is, is it? Okay. good. Like, but but like saying how that, it was. This was if, 15 years ago. Yeah, exactly. Old school now. <laughs> but if people need a rub as well like or a massage then they are willing to do it as well but it, it's a case but they, some, some physios it's not don't. needed like yeah some, some physios, physios don't. don't yeah i just remember some physios don't and it's just like i'll oh, get up and get a rub here and he's like no don't do that <laughs> that wasn't it that wasn't the lens through that was under underage one of the underage teams but um it was probably that it was the wrong thing to do at the time but um but as yeah, well I'm as sorry. that he knows that if he was to rub you then he'd have a queue out the door exactly no that's exactly it yeah that's exactly it but um i suppose people like when they go to a session they like some sort of 
instant result in terms of when yeah. you leave you're like I feel a lot better now whereas I think a lot of the time with physiotherapy it's like there's more of a process to it that not everyone's willing to do the exercise you give them at home and mm-hmm. you know there's the process of might this might be like this will be better in four weeks if you do this this and this mm-hmm. three times a week people you just can don't make tend to better do use of the time like yeah I think so yeah whereas it's, like, it's amazing the insight you have into it now even though yeah. you're saying that you don't have a great idea of oh, no, intricacies of physio but you can see how it is working maybe if you don't know exactly what they're doing or why they're doing it but you see mm. how it works but look no. you've touched on it enough times now that i want to move on to it before we finish because you've mentioned going off on a solo run you've mentioned playing <laughs> in a, a county final playing in a, an all-ireland final you haven't actually mentioned like a champions cup or anything like that it's all been gaa lingo i just try to relate to, i'm trying to relate to the audience here. yeah fair yeah i think um, i think there is still a fair grow in you for the gaa and yeah. From hearing you speak like about rugby, obviously, and, and it was forced upon you, your retirement, and, and you did everything you could in rugby with the time you had. Mm. With your finishing up of playing football and hurling, because you were a former dual star for Westmead, that was more like a decision that you made yourself. So is there any aspect of you that wonders, like, what if I did go down that route? Or yeah. are you totally at, at acceptance with that as well? Like, I mean, it'd be pretty crazy. Like you, you, you say it's like 90, well, not even 99.9%, but like if there was a decision to be made at that age, I don't, I'd struggle to find someone that would and go down the professional route. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just trying to think like in terms of if you know you're good enough in your heart of hearts to play professional sport and make it at that professional sport. Cause there's people that might be like, I was getting trials here or that. And they were like, I, I chose Gaelic football over it. I, struggle to I, I, I don't want to find someone who was actually like a prodigy or not a prodigy but like was 100% making it at that sport professional sport that had that made the decision towards GA um, I think you may move down to Kerry then because there's a fair amount of lads down there that have been recruited for the AFL and have said no thanks which is interesting that's, well, a, well, that's, a, a, that's a culture that's, thing I think there, and there's more to that as well because like you don't grow up playing any AFL yes yes well 100%. you probably don't and it's a different thing because you're moving literally the furthest country away from Ireland <laughs> yeah. and it, the, the, the culture over there is a good bit different to the Irish one in terms of they're quite macho men and you know like a Australian yeah. sort of confidence would be uh, stark contrast to your average Irish person. So um, I think the the you'd have to be very, I don't, I, don't, I don't really know anyone that's gone to play. I felt I've obviously heard and seen so many people go over, but um, I don't know any of them personally, but mm-hmm. um, anyone that's made it over there, like it has my full, uh, like it's incredible being able to do that go over. And you look at Jim Steins and these guys that go, went over and he obviously got the, um, Brownlow medal for his performances uh, in Melbourne but um, him going over and to be the best player at a sport that he didn't know for the first half of his life um, and didn't even touch the ball it's just absurd and it's the fact that it's prof- it was professional at the time as well um, it's just the mindset these guys have is just like you have to just be an absolute dog and and the most uh, you're being thrown completely out of your comfort zone you're going over at 18 19 years of age to Australia and 
you don't know anyone you don't know <laughs> you don't know the sport really i know they're better at incorporating the afl ball to younger guys now at these mm-hmm. camps and rookie camps and things like that in in ireland but um i think being able to do def- definitely that has my i have big admiration for those guys but then you, you look on the flip side at say something like rugby or soccer like you're growing up and playing that as a first or second sport alongside ga so it's it's different i wouldn't that afl sort of a uh, slightly different one because obviously it's going over and you're taking a lot more risks going over. Whereas if you're staying put and you know playing with Monster instead of Kerry, uh, it's it's like again. I'm sure there is loads of lads that have done it actually. Now that I'm thinking about it, I've never thought about that. Um, but I would have struggled to, I suppose, what the reasoning was behind choosing county football over being a professional rugby player with Leinster, Munster, Connacht, or Ulster. I think possibly if you were fully sure you're going to make it at being an international or like a interprovincial player that would be an interesting conversation to have with someone I think because I'd be like what was going through your head or what did you think did you just completely go by how that sport made you feel because a lot of the times with uh with myself I kind of went off expectation of what other people thought and, and my family and things and what would have made them happy. And it's obviously the worst way to look at it because it's all completely down to the individual and what makes you happy. Um, because like we only have one shot at life and there's no point doing something you don't want to do or live in someone else's life. So um, when I realized that, I think um, I was able to, to, again, make peace with a lot of my decisions. And like I gave it a crack and put in the hard work so that, one day I could be a, a, a lion or an international with Ireland and it'd all be worth it. I'd look back and be like, this is it. And I made it and we keep going here, see how far we can get. But it never came around and I'm okay with that because I learned and did so much along the way and experienced so much, like go to so many unbelievable countries and experience playing in front of thousands of people and playing for your country at under 20s and making loads of really good friends. And yeah. I don't think anything will come close. And that might be why Brian O'Driscoll and these guys talk about how AP McCoy, I think, and Brian mm. O'Driscoll, something popped up in my feed talking about how a professional sports person has two lives or they die twice. Because obviously when you retire, it's one death. And then when you actually die, it's another because it's a completely different life. Um, and I never reached the highs of those men. So I can't. That's why it's a lot easier for me to sit here and say that I'm adapting to it a lot better because. I'd never experienced the really heights they did. And that's why it made it easier because they weren't like AP McCoy was the most successful Jones jockey of all time. Brian Driscoll played for the Lions, multiple Lions tours, hundred odd Irish caps. You know, like this is how are you ever going to feel the exhilaration of jumping over the final fence at Aintree or Cheltenham or how are you ever going to score in a try for the Lions down in Australia? Like, that's I can see there. So you issues. weren't as tied to your identity, your personal identity as an athlete, because you didn't reach the heights that you felt you could have, or mm. is it because you had more time to work on other aspects outside of your life as an athlete, uh, or a combination maybe? Probably a combination, yeah. But I think it was probably the heights piece. I think uh, just the fact that. I didn't play in front of a packed Viva and sing Aaron Levine, you know, that probably would have been a moment that I'd be like, this is it now, that's peak for me, because you look at that every, 
every Six Nations when you're growing up, like that's you know, Saturday or Sunday afternoon, watching it with your dad after rugby training. It's like that's the uh, that's peak, you know. And he, would, everyone would have been so proud of that, but it didn't happen. But then, like, I mean, that's why I think if you experience that sort of those sort of things, like it's like a it's like a drug, you know. You experience yeah. some really big high you're like mm, i might go back and do that again and then when it's taken away from you it's like oh my god like what do i do and that's sort of it like i think um it is because he, obviously it is in a way it is like a drug because you're getting those emotions and the dopamine endorphins all this that you never experience that natural high without taking drugs so <laughs> take drugs <laughs> <laughs> but it's not the same as well it's not it's not, yeah. it's not you know what i mean like i mean i do i can I tell do. you like the best natural feeling i've ever had was scoring a try in the rds i would say i, I remember i just I, it was just a try i don't know what what try it was and it was the best feeling i've ever had naturally and i remember the feeling and i was like this is why it's worth it and I was which like, one was it I don't know. I don't even remember. I, I don't even remember. Potentially, just, do you remember the feeling of elation? Like, I just remember jumping, diving down to score it under the post in the RDS, and I was like, so pumped and hyped. And I was like, this is such a good, like, this is the best ever. And I was like, this is the, I was the best I've ever felt in my life. And um, in, in that moment, in terms of the feeling, now it mightn't have been the best day I've ever had or anything, but yeah. like, you know, that was just in that moment, that instant feel. I was like, that's worth it. It's worth a year of pain or worth years of pain that was 100% worth it just for that <laughs> it's bizarre and here's me thinking that like, it was going to be the hat trick you scored against Ross Gray in the semi-final <laughs> <laughs> I still remember it I remember that. I'm joking um, I'm joking because it was the first you know it was the first time I was playing 19 or that age group so I was like I was breaking myself and then we get out and it was grand. So I was like, yeah, you were only opposite a small little fella across from you. So I, was small, I, was, I was smaller than you, no doubt. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely were not. Because I was like, how is this lad a year younger than me? <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, look, I have great admiration for your humility, your ability to stay in the present, your high level of self-awareness, as, as I've touched on. So I think like, a great conversation but before we finish let's move on to quick fire questions which may get a little bit profound as well so the first one is proudest achievement to date oh is this supposed to be quick like really quick? it doesn't have to be they're just quick fire questions proudest mm-hmm. achievement to date and um, i would say yeah, it has to be playing professional rugby it has to be <laughs> favorite athlete I'd of all say. time and um, I don't want to give you a wishy-washy answer. Um, Why? What were you going to say, your dad? No, he'd probably be my favorite. Like he'd be my biggest role model, but it wouldn't be like necessarily from an athletic uh, athlete's point of view. You know, he was. But that, that's probably, important as well. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Like my dad is a role model for me. So, um, not necessarily playing full back for you know. I don't. I didn't try to be a full back for Alfie, like, but uh, you know, it's still in a way. It's off off the pitch as well. You get the um, hamstring right, you never know what. Yeah, happened. yeah. Uh, I probably like, I I I don't like basketball at all. I really just don't like the sport because I just think anyone that when you can score that many points and not be able to defend it, it really frustrates me. But I I really like Kobe Bryant. I thought he was like his mindset, the Mamba mentality, huge. I had huge admiration for him. I watched those documentaries and the pump up videos and so before games. So I'd probably take Kobe. Did you watch the Redeem team, is it? 
Yeah, yeah I actually haven't watched minutes. it yet. I, I don't like it. basketball. <laughs> you will enjoy it. it. It's not really about basketball. Okay. Um, but Kobe Bryant is just an absolute. He's an animal. He's yeah. an animal. It's just, it was it, he was an animal, and and the poor man, what happened to him was just like I was. I was really sad when I found out what happened with to him and his daughter because, again, I didn't like. I don't like what he, I didn't. When I say I don't like it, it's not like I hate it. I just mm. didn't really enjoy the fact that you couldn't defend people from scoring. But um, it was actually made me very sad. Um, learning of his faith so yeah yeah well that's obviously because you, you felt some level of connection to what he mm. did or who he was and yeah. i i agree I, I felt the same thing as well mm. as that i think it was just at the start of lockdowns as well so we yeah. were a little bit emotional, emotional. Yeah, yeah, yeah you were going through your injury as well your yeah. hamstring as well so yeah. probably were quite emotional but anyway yeah. Yeah. what's the biggest thing you've learned in the last 12 months um the world or yeah <laughs> life goes on i think it's it's important uh there's no point in dwelling on anything too much because the, the world's going to keep spinning and it'll still go on no matter what you do it'll still the sun will still rise tomorrow morning so don't be don't be too hard on yourself and you know just enjoy what you have i think is that's sort of what i've learned in the last 12 months not that i've lived by that or anything but it's mm. a nice to- nice uh, you're good at the advice you're right <laughs> <laughs> and then last piece of advice what would you tell your 18 year old self um well it kind of leads into the last one i think the advice i give to the 18 year old self is like just don't be so hard on yourself you Egypt. uh it's <laughs> you're you like just go out and enjoy yourself and 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 like have a focus but then be able to not be uber critical of, of everything you do and yeah go ahead and with that freedom we were talking about at the start of the episode i think that's probably like four or five different pieces of pieces of advice but that's what i would tell myself if i go back in time look it'll everything will work out and just enjoy it these cliches are just crazy no but, but it's, it's, true. All under, it's, it's true. all under the same umbrella but yeah. look look you know the gist of it i think um yeah like i think i think find what you're passionate about and go after it too like a dog with a bone you know <laughs> it's good to bring it back from the start back to the yeah. at the end looking for that little bit of freedom in what you do and the and the enjoyment factor as well but look connor thanks a million for coming on great conversation you, really appreciate it appreciate it yeah i had fun thanks thanks for having me on